Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Jeff of The Decentralists, and we've got a Hot Topics for you this week called The Great Breach of China. Hmm. Well, recently, Reuters broke a story that a hacker using the pseudonym China Dan had stolen 23 terabytes of personal data on 1 billion Chinese citizens from the Shanghai Police Department. Now, According to Reuters, the information contains names, addresses, birthplace, national ID number, mobile numbers, and any crime and case details. Wow. Now, apparently, China Dan is willing to sell a database for the relatively low cost of $200,000. So, Mike, as you said the other day, that's price, boy, there'd be a lot of buyers for that, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, so somebody or some government will very soon own all the personal data on a billion people from China. Now, as you can imagine, state censorship is working overtime to remove all mentions of the hack from the Chinese internet, and the government is warning people and businesses to pay more attention to security. Hmm. So what do you think? Is this hack legitimate? Did it happen? What happens next? What will China do? Uh, Mike, start us off, because this is a deep one here. It's kind of funny, right? I mean, you you read data breach in a headline, right? You're, you're skimming through the news apps or whatever, and you almost don't even really notice. Yeah, here's another one. Here's like, really, another one, you, you know, know, yada, Twice yada, yada. this week now, you know. But what makes this one unique, okay, is the scale. If if this truly is, and, and ultimately all of these kind of alleged breaches, right? What they typically do is, you know, just like China Dan, some hacker or hacker group will will purport to steal a bunch of data because they get to basically brag about it on these dark web hacker forums. Mm -hmm. And some reporter trolling around finds the note and says, hey, look, okay. And so if this is real, the it would be the biggest breach in history. Yeah, sure. and it's actually harder to imagine, you know, how you would get a bigger breach, right? <laughs> I mean, the only way I, I like the only way is maybe if you stole what the Mumbai Police Department's file or something like this, right? I mean, yeah. there's really only two countries on the planet where you could compile a database this big of individuals <laughs> this size. Seriously, so that's the first thing, right? Just the sheer size. The second is that it happened in China. Yeah. Right. Because you don't hear a lot about, you know, what's going on in the internet in China. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're a Chinese citizen, whether you're living in China or not, and you're familiar with all of their versions of the big apps, right? Because it's a different internet over there. For sure. It's, you know, hence the title, right? I mean, it's we're, we're kind of making a play on the great firewall of China by saying the great breach of China. And, and the idea is, is right now, you know, you don't use Twitter, you use Weibo or something like this, right? Yeah, and, and, and Mike, I'm right in thinking, based on what you said, that the average Chinese user does not peruse or enjoy the same worldwide web that we have. That, that's the idea, right? I mean, honestly, I've never, I've never been in mainland China to use the internet, okay? But my understanding is, like, real Twitter doesn't work. Real YouTube doesn't work. All of these kind of Western versions don't work because you can't access them. They're blocked. Uh, and that's in favor of, uh, of kind of Chinese versions of the app that keep everything in the middle. Right. And so this is, this is this centralization, right? But this is yeah. like micro centralization. Yeah. They can control it. What's fascinating to me guys is, uh, 
hacking a police database can yield this amount of data. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What I'm, what I'm talking about there is, I mean, we're in Canada right now. We're Canadians. If you think about the RCMP and the relative, you know, related police de- de- departments in Canada, you know, they'll have criminal databases and I don't know what the number is, but the population of Canada is 38 million people. So how many people might be in police databases who are currently alive? Um, you know, half a million, maybe let's yeah. say, um, right. you know, the notion that you could hack a police database in China and end up with a billion records right. speaks to the scope of the surveillance state in China mm. that, you know, I bet for us, the police, you know, if the police were hacked, they wouldn't have anything on us, right? They don't, you know, we're not, we're not in the system or maybe, you know, maybe we're in one database right. somewhere for a speeding ticket 20 years ago. But, you know, so to me, that's the other piece that's interesting is that in China, the Shanghai police, and it's not even the national police, it's the police in one city has a database on a billion people, you know, and, and just what that, what that represents in terms of the scope of the surveillance state to me, it, it's just staggering. Like it, and, and from what we know about China and, and their surveillance and social credit and the fact that, you know, we're recording this podcast, which means maybe it'll be tough for us to visit the great wall one day, <laughs> but you know, it is, it's just fascinating to me, just the scope of it and the fact that police would have all that information. I agree, right? And, 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 and I, think that, I think that, you know, to, to get back to Henry's first question, right, is this thing real, right? Is this breach real? And on the one hand, you kind, it's kind of hard to imagine, a, you know, like basically an Excel spreadsheet with a billion rows, okay? <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's really kind of hard to imagine that, right? But... Uh, to your point, Jeff, and I think you've nailed it, okay, the surveillance state in China, right, is not run by, arguably, and I would, I would think it's totally valid to say it's not run by the Shanghai Police Department, right? It's right. run by some federal government agency, right, that oversees all of the surveillance in the country. Because let's face it, if you're, if you, what you want to do is carry an, create an accurate, because remember, it's it's also it's called it's called like a kind of a social credit system or something. That's right. Right. So if you behave in China and you don't jaywalk and you you know tip your waitress or do whatever you do, behave when you go to a government office, you get positive marks in some social score, right? But that surveillance and that social scoring system and all that only works if it actually is replicated all across the country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can imagine that, you know, if you're China, what you do is you go in and you say, okay, we want to surveil everybody. And then what you turn around and say is, okay, who's going to be responsible for setting up all the cameras and collecting all the data mm-hmm. and doing all of this stuff in Shanghai? Oh, well, it'd be the police department, right? And then in Beijing, it's the police department. And in Guangzhou, it's the police department. Right, right. But if what you want is, if, is you know, people look at, look at China now. I mean, you can travel on on bullet trains that go 350 miles an hour, you could be from one side of the country to the other in a day. And if you're somebody from Shanghai and and that camera is going to do anything to recognize who you are and whether you're jaywalking in Beijing, Beijing needs the entire database too. Uh. Right? 
And, and, and this is kind of like what you're seeing here is we, we talk a lot about, you know, kind of centralization of, uh, you know, there's the two issues. There's collecting just reams and reams of data in this case, including like, God forbid, right? Your, your national security number or social security number, your birth date, your at, I mean, literally that's everything you need to fake a human being. Yeah. Right. To set up a bank account and do whatever. And, and you're literally compiling it on in, in, in kind of the sizes uh, that are just beyond, you know, astonishment, right? And the fact that, you know, literally, if you look into these stories, they say that what they think they've traced it back to is some programmer who was working for the, for the government, for the Department of Police in Shanghai, was just innocently giving out, you know, he was trading code with other people on some internal development GitHub account and took a screenshot. And in the screenshot were his credentials that were built in to this piece of code. He wanted to show everybody that he was doing. Wow. And so, and so literally you think about it, right? It's GitHub. Everybody uses it. It's it's how you communicate the program. Yes. And so somebody does this, some innocent little mistake and the, like a billion people's like personal information could be gone, could be just like, and, and as you said, Henry, $200,000, hell, it'd almost be worth, like, tell me the NSA wasn't the first guy to send China Dan 10 Bitcoin. <laughs> For $200,000. Okay. That's cheapest, cheapest surveillance you could ever do on China. And I, I would say the other piece of this discussion, I mean, the hack itself, the scope of the hack, the amount of data, all of that is is daunting. But the other piece that can't be overlooked is China's ability to censor this story through all of these decentralized, or sorry, centralized, mm-hmm. all of these centralized, uh, Henry can fix that on the editing room, all of, the, <laughs> all of those centralized platforms that they have where China can go in and just scrub in, in near real time any reference to, to any of this information as if it never happened because right. you can imagine if there's um if there's a hack of a hospital in the United States the hospital is required under law exactly. to report that hack it appears in the news mm-hmm. you know it's reported everywhere the lawyers twirl their mustaches and <laughs> and uh, warm up their pencil sharpeners and and start doing their thing and it's sort of all over the news for 2 weeks until the next one and it's forgotten and then the next one is um then it becomes a class action suit yeah, and then the and then everybody gets four hundred dollars in fifteen years. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is uh, you know common public knowledge. Whereas right. in China, the ability of China to just suppress this in a nation where everybody has a smartphone and every there's bullet trains and people are driving Teslas and there's all this kind of this this veneer of there's this veneer of development or, or being, right. you know, Westernization in China, right. but then under the covers is just this, this incredible power that the state has. And you saw it most recently in the anniversary of Tiananmen Square, where, you know, that day rolled around and just so many young people in China just have no idea it ever happened, what it was, right. where it was right. or, or anything, because the Chinese state is just so perfect at, at censoring that information. And it's, it's, um, if it wasn't so heartbreaking, it would almost be impressive, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I have a question. 
we in the past have spoken about, and we've done a podcast on the the Great Firewall of China. In fact, you you referenced it earlier, Mike. So, Mike, this Great Firewall that they protect um, their internet with mm. does it not? Doesn't it make data more secure in China? Wouldn't this breach be tough? Wouldn't it be tougher for it to happen? Explain how that plays a part. You know, and I think this is part of it. You know, there's a lot of these things. People think of things like VPN and firewall and all of this. And because they're kind of loosely bundled into this internet security and access thing, they actually think it has something to do with security. But a firewall has nothing to do with security. All a firewall it does is filter traffic. Mm. Okay. So we've talked about in a variety of different, you know, kind of podcasts and things, as you mentioned, Henry, you know, things like how easy it is when you kind of, with the, with the centralized structure of the internet, where internet, where websites and, you know, kind of um, service locations, right? You click the Facebook app, where does it go, right? It goes to basically plain text, easily interpretable addresses, right? DNS addresses, they're mm-hmm. often called, right? You see those numbers, 14.8.6.2. Everybody knows that's Facebook. So <laughs> it's very easy to turn that off, yes. right? So if you're ch- all what China's done is China went in and said, okay, what we're going to do with this internet thing is we're going to make sure that we're not subject to the Western tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, all these guys, we're going to build basically a ring around China that basically doesn't allow any traffic to a Western, you know, prefix. So oh, anything okay. that's 192 is in North America or something, right? So if, if you don't, if you don't, if you, you filter that. So what that does is that essentially creates an internet within the internet. Yes. Okay. So it's like a, an intranet. It's a private network. Okay. So that's great. So that theoretically makes it harder for China Dan. Okay. If China Dan is actually like, say, um, India Dan, right? He's from India or he's, yeah, but he's American. He's in China. Dan. That's the point, well, you, right? You don't know. You don't know. That's just a name. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a name that he identifies himself. It's just like your handle on Twitter, right? And, and so let's say if it is somebody from outside China, theoretically, it's harder for a hacker to get through the firewall and hack this database. Theoretically. Okay. If it's somebody within China, it's no different than any other hack. Because they've got access to all the Chinese IP addresses. Right. They're the ones that can go in and look at Chinese GitHub and find this, these credentials or, you know, and how the way these hacks are, are done, right? I mean, if I'm on the dark web, I can get out of China. I can go and get some, you know, well-known hacker tools from a hacker, pay him 500 bucks for a copy of software, drop it on the Chinese Shanghai Police Department and wait for it to report back with a billion records. There, there's also what's known as sneaker net. And, and sneaker net is you copy it to a 128 gigabyte thumb drive, drop it in your pocket and get on a plane to Hong Kong and, and upload it from there. Or, or, you know, right now with COVID and the lockdown, there's some complexity around travel, but that, that is the other piece is you can also just, you can't do it in North Korea where you can't cross the border. But in most parts of the world, you can just physically transport the media in your pocket as well. Yeah, in your pocket and just walk out. Yeah. You know, physical search can get around that, but how many thumb drives move across the border every day? Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. So many. So you can't really. So so that's 
you know, that's the other way. And I mean, that's what you see in spy movies all the time, right? Is sure. people are just passing thumb drives back and forth to each other. They're not actually uh, emailing this stuff around. Totally. Right. That's why what you end up with, right, is, and, and it's funny, you know, Henry, you alluded to it in the introduction, right? How that, you know, there's a whole bunch of different facets, right? This breach happened. It's it's a lot of records. The Chinese government, to to Jeff's point, is censoring, and the Chinese government is also coming back and wagging their finger at people and saying, "Be more secure, right? Think mm-hmm. more about the security of the personal information that you have, right?" And 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 you know, part of the challenge with this, especially when you're talking about data that is related to surveillance, right, is that what is surveillance? Surveillance is a live real-time camera feed all over the country, right? And attached to every transaction that happens, you know, interact, all this owned by the government, things like this. And for it to work, it has to be real-time access to the data. Right. You know, like you can't have this secured archive of personal information and say, look, there's a live feed of somebody jaywalking in Shanghai and I want to nail them for that and give them a fine. You need to have basically this, this live surveillance system plugged into a live database of everyone, oh. right? Imagine how dangerous that is. Oh, so just by design, it's, it's more dangerous than- Well, of course. I mean, it, it, bears, it bears, you know, of, of course it is, you know? And so the idea is that you can, you can have this database in the, you know, in the biggest building with guns and, you know, barbed wire and fire hoses and everything all around it and, 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 and surveillance of the surveillance, but it's, it's a hack. Okay. Okay. Question, I, I guess, Jeff, I'll, I'll give it to you or, or, or Mike, you can answer as well, but it's puzzling to me that this China Dan is only asking for the equivalent of $200,000. Why do you think that is? Couldn't he demand, I don't know, 10 times the amount? I don't know, but I can, because I was wondering that myself, but I could, I could postulate that it has to do um, with the value for identity theft purposes of the individuals, right? So if you mm. were to steal my identity, apply for credit cards in my name, uh, you know, access my bank account in my name, I, I, I'm just hazarding a guess, but I suspect that the value for an identity for somebody who, you know, lives in a house with a two-car garage in Canada, the United States, is higher than the value of an identity for someone who lives above a noodle bar in Shanghai. I see. And and so I, I would guess that's what it is. Now, that's not to say there aren't very wealthy individuals in in Shanghai and, and oh, yeah. in China, but I would, I would guess that as an aggregate, uh, an aggregate collection of a, a billion records of everybody in Western Europe is probably worth more from identity theft perspective than everyone in China. And I would also guess that because of the nature of the surveillance state in China, it is perhaps more difficult to use this data for nefarious purposes mm-hmm. uh. than, than it is in, in North America. So... So for those two reasons, that is, you know, that is, that is what I would guess to be the case. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to touch on um, was 
you know, was something that was said a couple of minutes ago, which is also interesting in terms of the contrast between the cultures. This message of be more secure and the government saying, please be more secure. I think they, they're coming up against a situation if they've made a bed that they, they have to sleep in, right? Where <laughs> yeah. China has been, you know, rampant in um, IP theft, right? There's been right. guys on the street corner selling, you know, bootleg DVDs of Weekend at Bernie's for, for 30 years. There's um, the government themselves discourages uh, their citizens from using a lot of encryption or using a lot of right. things, discourages them or, or perhaps outlaws them from, uh, from using VPNs. So all of the things that if you were to go online and, and your government would say, do these things to be more secure – and and here's your culture of security. Mm -hmm. It's kind of counter to what's been going on in China for the last 25 right. years. Correct. So I think I think they also have a bit of an uphill battle with convincing their people to be more secure, where when it makes the life of the surveillance state a little more difficult if they go ahead and do that. For sure. Okay, Mike. To to, to end off here, what do you think happens? next in this saga what can we look um look for uh, in the next i don't know few weeks i think you're going to see kind of counterintuitively going to see more efforts on behalf of the chinese government to censor any mention of this okay and that is going and they're going to try to i wouldn't even be surprised if they try to put pressure on western outfits to stop talking about it and i'll tell you why is here's what I think is one of the in, most interesting facets of this data breach that they aren't talking about. And I think is probably the biggest risk to say the authorities or the government in China, especially if it's proven to be tr like an accurate breach. Mm -hmm. So let's say for a moment, there's a billion people's records in this file. Okay. How many, they said part of the data that was in there was anybody who'd had a criminal kind of allegation, complaint, whatever, uh -huh. right? It'd be interesting to see how many of those billion people had some kind of criminal note in their file. Because I can imagine that, you know, in where, in the, in the country, in a country like China, where they literally surveil and, you know, kind of punish and publicly shame people for jaywalking. Imagine if this thing has a billion people's records and, and, and there's like half a billion that have some kind of criminal record note beside their file. Mm -hmm. That would literally be impossible. The place would be mayhem if there were half a billion criminals in China. Ah. And so I think one of the things that, you know, like right now, let's face it, you know, Jeff, we've talked about it. You talked a little bit on it. Henry, you've talked about it. We've talked about it. None of us really know what files our governments have on us. Okay. But I can reasonably assume, because I haven't done anything kind of criminal, I think I've had a couple of not stopping at a red, full stop at a red, you know, stop sign and maybe speeding <laughs> tickets. Yeah, yeah. But I would not expect to see any kind of extensive criminal notation beside my name in a Government of Canada data breach. Mm -hmm. But I would, I'm wondering how many people in China do. So yeah. I'm thinking that what's happened is a lot of people are going to, if this breach got out, would be very surprised a lot of, you know, law-abiding citizens who, to Jeff's point, aren't using VPNs, aren't doing anything. They're, they're obeying, they're towing the kind of the party line 
And yet they've got some criminal notations that the government, you know, somebody in the back room has put against their name. So I think that is potentially what the biggest risk point that is not really being talked about in this. And that I think is going to make uh, the government of China double down on censoring any mention of it for Uh, sure within China and then for sure without China. And I'm betting they're number two on the list behind the NSA to buy the list just simply so they can figure out if it's real or not. Wow, exactly. Michael, I hadn't thought of that. But boy, oh boy, I'm hoping that we will indeed be able to get some more information and they uh, they aren't as effective as they'd like to be to clamp down everything. Because this is fascinating. We've never really seen this from from inside the uh, the firewall of, of, of China. It's, right. it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Let's uh, keep our ears and our eyes open. Thank you very much, gentlemen. If you got a bunch of PII on China, get it out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk to you soon. Thank you. 